You're listening to the Sojourn Montrose podcast. For more sermons and content, visit sojournmontrose.org. Okay, let's jump into uh, Matthew 28. Here's what we're going to do. Like I said, this is essentially a summary of the entire book. So we're just going to look at three themes that Matthew has been sort of hinting at throughout the book of Matthew, um, because these are really the three things that we want to take away from this book. So if somebody were to ask us what the book of Matthew is about, we would want to say it's about the authority of Jesus. We would want to say it's about the commands of Jesus or the commission of Jesus. And we would want to say that it's also about the the presence of Jesus. And so we'll talk about each of those three things in their turn. um, And then we'll talk about why that's important for us. So let's look at just the first couple of verses here, starting in verse 16. It says this. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And we'll pause right there. Now remember that this happens right immediately after uh, Jesus' resurrection. So here's what's taking place, right? The authority that Jesus naturally claims in the event of the resurrection, he now verbally affirms, right? Like he shouldn't really have to say anything, right? He's risen from the dead. He's here. He's alive. We should understand that to mean that there is authority vested in Jesus that we don't have, right? But for our sake, he explains it quite clearly. All authority in heaven and on earth have been given To me, this is Jesus assuming his whole authority, right? All of it, every ounce of it, he's leveraging towards what he's going to say in the coming verses. So these are probably important words, right? Not only in terms of in terms of the time in which they come, right? And that this is Jesus's appearance to his disciples after his resurrection, right? This is also one of the final times that he'll see his disciples before he ascends into heaven to assume his Rightful place at the right hand of the throne of God. Right? So important words. And he backs it up with this claim to authority. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. That should be a hint to us. We need to listen carefully. Now, uh, we always try to pick out a, a few little details so that we understand clearly what it is that Jesus is trying to do. In meeting the disciples on this mountain, right, you would... This is kind of an odd situation as it is, right? Jesus has resurrected. The women have told the disciples he's going to meet you in Galilee, which is like a, a significant walk, right? And he's not just going to meet you in Galilee, but he's going to meet you up a mountain. So it's like, that's great. <laughs> we're going to walk hundreds of miles to get to Galilee. And then when we get there, we're going to climb a mountain. And Jesus may or may not be there. <laughs> but much like everything that Jesus does, there's great purpose in what he's calling them to do, asking them to do. And and in meeting the disciples on the mountain, Jesus is using location in order to emphasize, again, the importance of this moment. So it's not just just the words that he's saying. It's not just the fact that he's resurrected from the dead, but he's, I mean, everything in this moment right here is geared towards helping us to see and to understand, right, the measure of gravity with which he would have us to hear his, his next words. 
right? In the Old Testament and throughout the book of Matthew, revelation traditionally comes on the mountain, right? Moses goes up to the mountain. He meets with God, right? He sees the glory of God, comes down, and his face shines with the glory of God. He delivers to them the Ten Commandments, the law, right? This glorious moment where God has communicated himself to his people on the mountain, right? In the book of Matthew, the, the, the most full record of one of Jesus' sermons, the Sermon on the Mount, right? The best sermon ever preached, right, given on the mountain. He takes a few of his disciples and reveals himself in all of his glory to them on the Mount of Transfiguration, right? We see this regularly, again, not just in the Old Testament, not just in the book of Matthew, but throughout the Bible. Revelation coming to people on the mountain. So he's delivered his chief teaching in the Sermon on the Mount. He's revealed himself to his disciples as God on the Mount of Transfiguration. And now what he's doing is he's revealing his chief command. His commission on the Mount in Galilee. Much like Moses, but a better and a truer Moses, he comes and he delivers for us a new law. But it's similar in intent. Right in that God gives Moses the law in order that the people of Israel would be set apart for his glory. And here Jesus is doing exactly the same thing. He's giving them a new command by which his people would be set apart for his glory. So. That is why at this moment. Every bit of authority that has been vested in Jesus. Both on earth and in heaven are being leveraged towards this end for this command, right? Jesus is leaning on his comprehensive authority, his authority that he's established not only in riding into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, right, on the colt of a donkey, saying, I'm the king. And not only in his resurrection, but now in what will be his ascension, he leans on all of that authority in the giving of this commission. So let's read the commission itself. This is what he says. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Verse 19, go therefore. So therefore meaning because of, right? Because this authority is vested in me, all of it. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And we'll pause right there. Jesus leverages his all of heaven, all of earth authority towards this command. So again, it would be smart if we would pay close attention to what's being said by Jesus, because here's the reality. Everything that Jesus has said up to this point is great. And they're all things that we should heed. They are the, the, the very words of God himself, right? But these are the words that Jesus himself says, hey, look, all this authority that I've demonstrated now can be summed up in this. This is what I want you to do. And so what would he have his followers do? What would he have his disciples to do? And let's just break down the sentence, right? He says, go. Right? He says, go. So the first thing we can note is that the, this command is not going to be something that's passive, right? This is not going to be something that, that happens to us, right? 
This is something that we go and, and actually play a part in, that there's, there's leg muscles that will be used, right, in, in doing what, what God is calling us to do, what Jesus himself is calling his followers to do. Right? So this is not like a, you're not on the proverbial cruise ship to heaven, right? Like just kick back, relax, like and wait for the sky to fall for whatever is going to happen, right? Um, it's active. So he says, go, and then he says, go make disciples, right? So as you are going, in your going, as you are actively living your life, make disciples. It seems like a fairly simple thing, right? Jesus came, he made disciples, and so he says to his disciples, listen, I want you to do what I do, which is essentially what disciples do, right? They follow their leader. They, they do as he does. Go and make disciples. Now, uh, a few short chapters back in chapter 25, um, of Matthew, we have a, a a parable that Jesus gives, right? That at first maybe doesn't make a whole lot of sense. And he talks about how he gave this guy a certain amount of money and he gave this guy a certain amount of money and this guy a certain amount of money. They, they, they each get a different amount, right? Um, and he essentially says, watch over this. I'll be back for it later. And each guy does something different. One guy invests, one guy buries it, right? And Jesus comes back, and, and to each one, he, he essentially gives this res- response, this reply, right? If, if they've invested or if they've done something in order to double the money, uh, then he's, he, he says to them, well done, right? Good and faithful servant. But to the one that, he, that, that buries it, he kind of says, hey, like, you haven't done anything with this, right? He's been passive with what he's been given. Well, all of a sudden, when we read this great commission and when we read this phrase that jesus gives us the short really sentence right go therefore make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the father son and the holy spirit teaching them to obey all that i have commanded you that starts to make sense here's the thing this morning if we believe there's a god then my guess is that um, we would want to hear from that god well done good and faithful servant right we want to know what it is that we need to do in order to produce that that result, that reply, right? There's nobody in here that works for a boss, even if they don't like them, that they don't want to hear good job from, right? Well, Jesus here is telling us what it means for us to invest what he's given us, right, in such a way that it would, that it would produce a return, that it might be said, well done, good and faithful servant. If we want to hear that, then we will work to multiply that which we've been given in the glorious gospel, Right? Jesus says this is the hope of the world, that it's through him, right? the way, the truth, and the life, that people come to the Father. He says this is a glorious and good and generous gift that I've been given, and I want you to multiply it in the world. And so the question, I think, for us this morning then becomes, right, how? How do we make disciples? If this is what Jesus is leveraging his all heaven, all earth authority towards, and this is what he would say a good and faithful servant partakes in, 
how do we do it? Now, here's the thing. That's a, a question that there have been a lot of different Christian conferences about, and there's all kinds of books and things you can read and nuance that can be given, and, and we're not going to dive into all of that, and I'm not here to give you uh, a lecture or a manual about it, because I think, honestly, it, it, in some ways, we've overcomplicated it. What does Jesus say? What does it mean to make a disciple? In any nation, right? So any context, this applies to anywhere that you go in the world to make a disciple. What you do to make a disciple is you baptize them and you teach them to obey. It's as simple as that. Right? Essentially, what Jesus is saying is to become a disciple and to make disciples is to teach people obedience. And, and so the reason that baptism comes first is because baptism is the first order of business for a follower of Jesus. Making disciples means fostering obedience and baptism is the first step of obedience. So he says, baptize them, and he says, teach them, right? So we are baptized, and then he says, after the baptism, then we're summoned into an ongoing and greater faithfulness day by day by day. So the life of the disciple is one not only of teaching, but also of being taught, right? That goes for me too. And essentially what Jesus is saying in this text is that following him, that being named among his disciples will entail a lifelong journey. And I think that's even more emphasized by the word that Jesus uses, right? He says, teach them to obey all, everything, right? This is the same word that he used in verse 18 when he said all authority, right? So he's talking comprehensively, saying, look, everything that I've commanded you to do, you need to teach people to obey that. Not part of it, not half of it, not some of it, all of it. Now, I, I think at first, maybe that makes us go, okay. <laughs> I don't know that I can do that, right? And I, I, I love the way that Jesus phrases this because it means that all of us have some distance to move forward because if, if I had to guess, there's nobody in the room this morning that if I said who obeys all of Jesus' commands would raise their hands happily and say amen, right? And this is just first, this is not, I'm not claiming this. That's just what you would not do, Right? It means that we all have some distance to move forward. The Bible goes on to tell us that that's why we need each other, right? It goes on to tell us later on, um, after the birth of the church and some of Paul's letters about the church to the church, right? It goes on to say, like, this is why you need each other, right? Because if we're all striving to obey Jesus' every command, what happens when we get together is that we'll encourage each other in our weaknesses, right? And we'll also have our weaknesses encouraged by each other, right? So here's the reality. There are men and women in the room this morning who follow Jesus in some of his commands way better than I do. And I need to be encouraged in that weakness. 
And then there are ways that the Lord has uniquely gifted and walked with me that might be an encouragement to you in the ways that you need to be obedient to Jesus this morning. And so here's the reality for us this morning, brothers and sisters. If we're in our neighborhood parish gatherings and we find ourselves thinking we have nothing to learn from anyone there, then we're wrong. Now, here's the reality. When we talk about making disciples, I think that historically speaking, uh, our churches have had a remarkable tendency to see baptism as the finish line rather than the starting line. And that, right? Like, as, so as long as we get people in the building, right? And as long as we're dunking people every once in a while, right? And as long as they, one, come out alive and then stay alive long enough to fill a seat next weekend and maybe give us some dollars, then we'll be fine until Jesus comes back. And I really believe this morning, brothers and sisters, that that is why we have weak, undisciplined, and ultimately ineffectual churches. Because we're satisfied as long as people are giving us some money and showing up for roll call. And I think that that should be frightening for us. Here's why. There's another parable that Jesus gave just a few chapters back about a fig tree. Jesus walks up to a fig tree. He sees it. It's in bloom. And so he thinks, oh, man, there's going to be fruit on that tree. And he walks up to it and there's no fruit. And so he curses the fig tree. And it withers and dies. Because the tree looks good on the outside, but it's not producing anything. It's not producing any fruit. And so my question this morning is, are we the fig tree with an appearance of life? but bearing no fruit. Because if we are, then, then we're cursed. When Jesus withers the fig tree, he's just revealing it for, for what it really is. Empty. And so we see the authority of Jesus and we see this command of Jesus that quite honestly, all of us right now are probably looking at and going, I don't know what I'm going to do about that. Well, before we all melt into a puddle of despair and sadness, Jesus has a word of comfort for us. Because in the second half of verse 20, this is what he says. Behold, I am with you Always to the end of the age. Listen, following Jesus and obeying his command will require our lifetimes, not just a time. 
but it's a lifetime that Jesus promises to accompany us in. Jesus doesn't bid us to go anywhere that he has not first gone or is not himself willing to go with his people. So Jesus' great authority and his power is not only leveraged towards the giving of a command that is absolutely intimidating, but it's also leveraged towards the empowerment of our ability to keep his command. I've been a Christian for for a long time now, and the the reality is that the more I grow, uh, the more lack I see. Um, And it's kind of the paradox and the difficulty, I think, of being a Christian is that the more you grow to understand the holiness of God, the more you grow to understand the great grace of Jesus, the more you realize how much you need it. The more you realize tiny little areas in your life that you're unfaithful Now, in theory, this should be crushing. And it often can be if I'm looking to myself, if I'm looking to my own ability to summon up the strength, right, to follow and obey Jesus in all that he has commanded me. But Jesus here, in the last line of the book, is inviting us to cast those burdens upon him because he's with us. Now let's do something real quick. I want want us to be sure to remember what happened with the disciples before this because I think a lot of times we picture this moment maybe because we saw it uh, on a a TV show or like a, a really bad film, you know, from 70 years ago. And it's just the disciples are just super happy to see Jesus, and they're so excited that Jesus is back. Well, let's go back to that line in verse 16. It says that the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And some of us, again, just like last week, right? We're like, silly disciples. If I had seen Jesus, I'd have just worshiped. There'd be no doubt in my mind. But you know, the word doubt, uh, it is helpful here, and it's not translated incorrectly, but it could also be translated that they hesitated. Again, let's remember what's happened, right? Just a few short days ago, Peter outright denied Jesus. Not just once, not just twice, but three times. And the other disciples, their hands aren't clean either. They have abandoned him in his hour of greatest need, right? And Judas, who's no longer even with them, right, outright betrayed Jesus. So everybody in the presence of Jesus right now has done something for which they should be and probably are ashamed. And so it makes total sense that they would they would be walking to Galilee a little bit less like this and a little bit more like, what are we going to find when we get there? A little bit more like, oh man, it is Jesus. 
And if Jesus is risen from the dead, he knows what I said to the lady by the fire. And he knows that I wasn't there in his hour of need. And so, yeah, they hesitate. Like, this is God himself in the flesh, proving himself, revealing himself in all of his authority, not some of it, but all of it, right? Unlimited authority, all of heaven, all of earth, right? And he's going to show up at your front doorstep three days after you denied him. Yeah, they're hesitating. I mean, can you imagine the sense of failure, the sense of guilt, the sense of shame. Like, I, I don't know about you, but like, for me, even in like high school, it was like, I know I don't have my homework done today. I'm either cutting class or I'm going to, you know, just sit in the back and hope to God that the teacher doesn't see me. Right? Well, guess what? The teacher's back from the dead. Yet here Jesus is. He's with them. And he's not only with them, but he's encouraging them. I mean, can you imagine? Like, I would be expecting the dress down of a life, right? Of a lifetime in that moment. You, you denied me. You left. Where were you? What does he say? I'm with you. I'm with you always. You weren't with me always, but I'm with you always. He's still going to use them. He's still going to do what he has always planned to do through them, right? He's still going to make more disciples who will make more disciples, who will baptize more disciples, who will obey Jesus' commands so that the glory of the Lord reigns in the earth from sea to shining sea. He's still going to do all that. Their unfaithfulness has not negated his faithfulness to them. What grace. What good news. What a comfort. And so here's the good news this morning for us, brothers and sisters. Jesus does the same with you and me. We betray and we abandon Jesus daily in our disobedience. But if we've been found in him, then he is with us, he encourages us, and he promises he will still use us. And, that's, and so that's why when the Bible says that it's the kindness of the Lord that leads us to repentance, that's good news, right? And here's the thing, I think a lot of us, when we think of repentance and then we think of kindness, we go, those two don't mix. This is guilt and shame, right? And this is something else over here. But no, right? Repentance is Jesus giving us an opportunity to step back into everything that he's called us to do and to be. It's another opportunity to be found obedient. And it's not just a step that we're taking. It's one that he's empowering with his all authority. It's his all authority that's going to enable us to actually do what he's called us to do, to turn 11 idiots into, into people that would transform the history of the world. Like, do you realize 
it's 2000, what happened 2017 years ago? Je- yeah, Jesus, guys, Jesus. <laughs> Jesus came around, right? The whole world knows that. The whole world counts time, literally, from the day that Jesus set foot on the earth. Because 11 simple, ordinary, faithless, and unfaithful men were made into faithful men by the all authority of Jesus and his presence with them. Right? That's what Acts tells us, right? Tells us that Peter shows up and preaches a sermon and the authorities of the day look around and they're like, man, like who is this guy? And then they're like, dog, he's been with Jesus. And it said that they were astounded when they saw that they were moroni, which you know what that transli- translates into. So here's where I'd have us land this morning. Uh, we could talk about, again, a thousand different nuances for how to make disciples and uh, you know strategy here, this, that, and the other. We're, I, we're not going to talk about that right now. Again, this is... Both being a disciple and making disciples is a lifelong journey that we'll never quite 1,000% figure out. Probably because there's this little thing called faith that Jesus would like us to have. But I will say this. The central disciple-making rhythm here at Sojourn is the neighborhood parish. So, If you're not a Christian and you want to know more about Jesus on the ground level, then that's the place to be. If you want to know what it means to be a disciple, not just in sitting in the pew on Sunday and nodding, right, when the pastor says amen, that's the place to be. And if you are a Christian in the room and you need to grow in your discipleship, right, and being more obedient to the all commands of Jesus, hint, that's everyone, (laughs) then that's the place to be. You'll notice that Jesus, right, Jesus here doesn't show up to each disciple during their quiet time. I'm not hating on your quiet time, right? Please continue it or start it if you haven't. But disciples are disciples together. Disciples become more obedient disciples together. So go to your parish gathering this week. You need it. And if you're not in a parish, let us help you find one. That is the starting place, at least in terms of how we do it. With that said, right, let's just acknowledge this and then we'll be done. This church and every church will let you down. Why? It's filled with failures. (laughs) But it's filled with failures that Jesus loves, is with right now, and promises to make whole. And so, Sojourn, I'm so thankful to be on this journey of obedience to Jesus with you. And I'd like to end this morning with a prayer that Paul says over the church at Philippi, uh, and uh, I'd like to read it over us. And this is what it says. 
I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you are all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And this is where I want to key in, verse 6. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent. And so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and the praise of God. Brothers and sisters, we see everything that we just talked about in this one simple prayer on behalf of a simple church in a town called Philippi some 2,000 years ago. Yes, Jesus would have us be righteous. Yes, Jesus would have us obey him. But he gives us everything we need in order to see that come to fruition. The good work that he begins, he completes. He is with us, even to the end of the age. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning. And I do pray, Father, that by your spirit and by your grace, you would turn this church into a more obedient church day by day by day. That we would be faithful to the commission that you've given us to make disciples, Lord, that whatever gets in the way of that, Father, that you would remove from us, Lord, whether it's a reservoir of guilt and shame that we live out of that you've already paid for that we need to let go of, or whether it's a, a perceived lack of knowledge, like we don't know enough, when really, Lord, it's the simple words of the gospel that are the power for salvation. So it's not about our eloquence. It's about you doing what only you can do through your faithful people. And I pray, Lord, this morning that we would come to the table and, Lord, that where we need to repent, we would repent, but that we would repent understanding that this is kindness, that this is joy, Lord, that in the broken body and blood of your son, Jesus, we have victory in the most important things. Namely, in being found obedient to you at the end of days. And so, Lord, help us both to find rest this morning, but also encouragement for the work that is ahead. We love you, Lord. We're grateful for this morning. And we're grateful for your son, Jesus, in whom we have received all good things. It's in his name we pray. Amen.